This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, this is Jan. You are listening to the Langpreneur podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm doing okay, but I have to say I'm getting a little bit sick of this whole quarantine thing. I've been locked up, well, locked in my house for the last almost, can't even remember when this all started, but you're probably in the same situation. Um, In the beginning, I think it was okay, you know, I was productive and actually I have been productive over this whole quarantine period, but I just miss socializing, meeting people, seeing friends, family, Uh, you're probably in the same situation. So I'm going to stop complaining here. I'm just, you know, just wanted to say that. Just wanted to share with you that that this is not for me. I'm really happy when this is all over. When we can start traveling again, you know, organizing all these events. We had planned uh, a high-level mastermind for Langpreneurs in Greece later this year. We're probably still going to be able to do that. But um, yeah, all this uncertainty just looking forward until all of this is over. In the meanwhile, we just keep being productive, keep pumping out a new podcast episode every single week to keep you guys entertained, busy, to make sure that you have uh, enough food to learn. So that's exactly what we are going to do today. Um, also have to say that after we did our, after we hosted our, after we ran our online workshop called Langpreneur Business Breakthrough, I started doing these consulting calls with uh, with the participants and that has been really interesting, has been really interesting to, you know, have a look at your guys' businesses and see how you guys can grow, where the potential is and where some of the, you know, some of the gaps are in your business. So some of you have been able to to really make a lot of progress in a short amount of time because you guys had potential that you just didn't see. So that has been really interesting and rewarding as well. And if you want me to take a look at your language business, then, um, well, then you first need to check out our Langpreneur Business Breakthrough course. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. For now, uh, let me just talk a bit about today's interview because today's Guest on the show here is Steve Kaufman, the founder of Link. Uh, many of you know Steve. He's a very familiar face in the uh, well, in the community, I should say, in the polyglot world, in the world of online language learning. Steve has a YouTube channel, a very big YouTube channel, and he has been um, has been running that channel for at least ten years. So he's also. Um, a great polyglot. He speaks over 15 languages, might even be 20, not even sure. And I think he learns like at least five or maybe even 10 of the languages that he speaks now after his 60s. So Steve is 74, but he keeps going. That's something that I really admire uh, about this about this man. Very passionate about languages. Also has a career, has worked all over the world in China, in Japan, in Europe, in Canada, where you're going to learn more about Steve's background and about how he built Link, of course, um, because that didn't come easily. And he's going to share with you in this interview. He's going to tell us 
basically what inspired him to build link some of the struggles that he had in the beginning the challenge of building a language platform a language learning platform and uh, he's also going to tell us why we as langpreneurs you know why we have such a big opportunity these days and why the future is bright for us so are you guys ready for this interview with steve i hope so but before we start with the interview Let's first go and thank our sponsor. So you want to create your own successful online language business, or maybe you already have one, but you're missing the traction. Well, then I highly recommend you to join our brand new course, Langpreneur Business Breakthrough. Now in this course that I created with Oli, you're going to learn a lot about growing an online language business. Things you're gonna learn, for example, the perfect business model for you, the three questions to answer to avoid failure with a new business, why your existing products are at selling and what to do about it. Also think about things like email strategies that will uh, help you generate sales within seven days, how to easily sell your products or services without being salesy, all that kind of stuff. Now, the feedback that we have received from the students so far has been amazing and you know, I actually don't think that I've ever seen such positive feedback after any course launch, really. So. If you want to learn more about this course and about what other students say about our course, go to langpreneur.com forward slash LBB. And if you sign up now, you will get a 30-minute one-on-one consulting call with me entirely for free so that we can identify how we can take your business to the next level and start implementing straight away. So again, go to langpreneur.com slash LBB, langpreneur.com slash LBB. Hey and welcome back. Now let's get started with my interview with Steve. I hope you enjoy. Hey Steve, welcome on the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself or the people who don't know you and yeah, tell us how you got into language learning and building a platform. Okay, so I'm uh, retired in theory, 74 years old here, uh, grandpa. And uh, I've always kind of had a connection with language throughout my life. Um, as a 16, 17-year-old uh, growing up in Montreal, of course, we had French at school, but nobody learned to speak. We, we knew the 16 verbs that take être as an auxiliary verb, but we couldn't say anything. Uh, Montreal, just so you realize, in the 50s was very much a divided city. You had a million English-speaking people and two million French-speaking people, and they just kind of stuck to themselves. That's all changed dramatically. Montreal is very bilingual now, but it wasn't the case uh, 50 years ago. At any rate, I got very interested in French because of a professor that I had. Um, I subsequently went to France uh, as a student for three years. I studied in France and hitchhiked in Spain, so I learned some Spanish. Joined the Canadian government uh, at a time when Canada was getting ready to recognize the People's Republic of China. They sent me to Hong Kong to learn Mandarin Chinese. I subsequently lived in Hong in Japan. So I had this in contact with languages and then I just started learning more of them on my own, German, and, and then I ended up doing a lot of business in Sweden. Uh, and I had, I had, I was actually born in Sweden, but had forgotten Swedish, but I kind of learned it back. And, and so I've always been interested in languages. And then at the age of 60 or so, I decided that I should learn Russian. Oh, before that, before that, at the age of 55, I decided to learn Cantonese. 
And so I got to where I, I was, you know, having people read newspaper articles in Cantonese because I could read them in Mandarin. And the, you know, Cantonese and Mandarin essentially use the same vocabulary when it comes to things like newspapers. But in the daily casual conversation, they diverge more. Okay. So by getting people to read the uh, newspaper articles, I was able to get myself up to speed in Cantonese. And I was listening to local Cantonese radio and I heard that there was a Chinese immigrant to Vancouver who had all his money stolen at the airport. Apparently Chinese gangs prey on their fellow <laughs> Chinese. Do these things happen in Vancouver? They, they come in like the, this guy had like $10,000 in a bag. Oh, sounds a bit cart. suspicious. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but the Chinese know that their, their compatriots do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So they, they prey on them. So anyway, this guy had all his money stolen. I heard this. I was listening to Chinese radio. They said this was the case. So we contacted the Chinese uh, sort of ethnic community society and said, this guy's a computer programmer. Uh, we were building software for sawmills. Uh, if this guy can come and help us, uh, fine. If he's not very productive, then at least we'll give him a couple of months, uh, you know, uh, to uh, get his feet on the ground. He had a lot of trouble with English, even though he had a high TOEIC or TOEFL score, right? And the two don't necessarily connect. Yeah. And uh, so uh, one of our programmers developed uh, the beginnings of Link for this guy. And so it was English only. He went back to China. We tried to uh, interest the Canadian immigration people in using this for, I mean, we, we get a lot of skilled immigrants in Canada, people who are quite literate, yeah. you know, and have had some exposure to English. And, and we thought that Link was very suitable for that kind of learner. But of course, I don't know what it's like in Holland, but <laughs> let's say that the immigrant service organizations and the governments that fund them, it's kind of like a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Uh, how do I get more funding from government and a program that might actually l help people learn but doesn't put you know bodies into a classroom is of no interest. Yeah. So we got nowhere. Mm -hmm. So then we converted it into a multi-language platform. Uh, the model is that uh, you know uh, people help people learn their languages and then from that you know we did every possible mistake as we tried different things, mistakes in terms of the design, mistakes in terms of platform we used, database we used, mistakes in terms of how to promote it, like every possible mistake. Mm. If, if, if we had gone on a straight line, it would have been better. But it's difficult to go on a straight line if you don't know where you're going. Right? Exactly. You have, to, you have to start. You have to do something in order to know what works and what doesn't, right? So in the first place, the purpose of Link was teaching immigrants English. Well, in the first place, it was teaching this specific employee who was a Chinese immigrant. Oh, okay. Then, what was then, he working for? Like, for pardon? another? Was he working for another business or? No, I don't. He was a recent immigrant. We had we were building software, uh, you know, like uh, SAP type uh, programs for sawmills. Okay, we were selling them in Scandinavia, the Baltic states, and stuff. So we could use a programmer if he's good. Uh, if, if he's not good, in the end, he, he wasn't particularly good at communicating. You got to be able to communicate. A lot of people don't realize, like immigrants, well, you know, I have these certain skills. Communicating is really understanding what people are saying, really understanding what they want. And that requires a degree of cultural comprehension beyond just knowing some words. So that the TOEFL score may not be that good an indication. Uh, if we're talking French, getting the subjunctive wrong may not matter. 
what really matters is do you understand what people are saying what the what the point is you know that degree of communication he couldn't get it so i put a lot of effort into you know we worked with the rotary people talking about their businesses try and get the immigrants this guy and then others eventually to understand how canadians function how they think and 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 particularly small business people or alarm you know whatever get get a sense of the culture and then, but we weren't successful in interesting the uh, Canadian government, so uh, we converted it into this uh, multi-language platform. Yeah, I know that you, well, you used to work as a diplomat, and I think you right. also worked in the, in the timber business, or how do you call that? Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know that you also had a background in IT, or... I don't. Or you don't. It's just, no. it's just that within our, it's all, you know, so much in life is just kind of waterfalling. <laughs> so... In order for us to do our business, I have my own company in wood. So you're dealing in currencies. You're dealing in different measurements, like the footboard, like board feet measurement, nominal, net, metric, uh, all this kind of stuff. And you're dealing with, with shipping schedules and uh, when is it going to be produced? When is it going to be loaded? Where's my shipment? So to handle all of this information, we had developed a program for ourselves. So then our Swedish supplier sees this and says, can you do this for me? And stupidly, we said yes. And that then got us into doing that for them. And then one of their competitors sees it and says, can you do that for us? So pretty soon we're in the business of making, you know, enterprise systems for sawmills. Ah, I, I didn't know that. You had, yeah. Like a developer working for you or like how big was the team? We have a developer, we had a developer, we had two or three. Uh, we still have that system, We're selling it in Sweden. Sweden and, and the Baltics, Latvia has been our main. But we don't want to, you know, to really ramp up, you got to get more programmers, promote it. And we got it at a level now where we've got enough customers and service contracts that it basically pays for our developer guy and we're happy and we're not going to touch it. And we have access to that for our own needs because I still have my, my lumber company and we're still moving wood primarily from uh, different European countries into the east coast of the U.S. And so there are there always requirements from the users, change this, improve that. So we're in, we're in a good spot there and we're not going to ramp mm -hmm. up. So what inspired you to start or to build Link? So, as I say, I've always been interested in languages. Um, we had put a lot of effort into this program initially for the one employee. And then I've always been interested in Chinese, the Chinese community. So we started promoting it with the Chinese community in Vancouver. I bought, uh, you know, two sets of 13 weeks of... Uh, you know, infomercials on the local radio and, but, but in the end that wasn't enough. We felt we wanted to take it to this uh, multi-language platform, partly because of interest. Like what you have to understand about Link is no business person in their right mind would have stayed with it as long as I have. Okay? <laughs> that sounds no. interesting. No, no way. No way. I mean, it, it, let us say that it's, it's been a long road. A long road in a long, small, dark tunnel. Whoa. Are you already okay. out of that, of that we're tunnel? We're out of the tunnel. We're out of the tunnel. But uh, there were days when, uh, and, and of course, if you're crawling along in a long, dark tunnel, you can't really back up either. Yeah. 
the only way to the only thing to do is just to, to keep to keep, keep working on it, right? To make yeah, it work. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So how long was that dark tunnel well, more or less? Are we talking well, about years here or even more? Oh than yeah, yeah. I mean Link is fifteen years old. It seems like only yesterday, but it's fifteen years old. Now, on the positive side, A, we're out of the tunnel. And B, I love it. So here I am, 74 years old. <laughs> I'm learning per Persian and Arabic. <laughs> yeah. I put Turkish on, on the back burner right now because I want to get a better handle on reading the, the Arabic script. And as you know, if you've read any non-Latin script, you can know the script, but for the brain to get used to it, it's a long, it takes a long time. So. It, Turkish, in a way, as a language is more difficult, but because it's written in the Latin alphabet, actually, it's a lot easier. And so I've put that aside, focusing on Persian and Arabic, which is fun. I got I got a gal in Iran who transcribes podcasts for me, who's talking about life in Iran right now with the coronavirus. Every little five, six minute story that she does, she then creates these circling questions, which helps me then understand better what she's talking about. Like it's it's it's. I love it. It's it's fascinating. So it's been a an amazing 15 years for me, but uh, very rewarding for my son Mark, who runs it. Uh, <laughs> he has to look at it as a business. Yeah. So he gets very angry at me whenever I add Persian or <laughs> Catalan or <laughs> you know. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the mistakes that you made like when you started link because you said you know from the from a business perspective it didn't really make sense in the beginning tell us a little bit about yeah. those business mistakes well, and uh, how could you keep going yeah i mean uh, first of all it's much more difficult to have people find you on the internet than you think so even today nobody knows we exist i mean real outside of this community of language uh, enthusiasts It's so very difficult. It's so very competitive. That's point number one. Point number two is you can dream up all kinds of fabulous functions that to me as a learner seem very powerful. The more functions you have, the more confusing it is. And so it's very, it's very important to trim any unnecessary options or functions that might And therefore, to resist requests from people to add functions, functions that may only be of interest to 10% of your users, and for 90% of your users, just confuse them. Uh, the more functions you have, the more opportunity for glitches. Um, also, we struggled with different databases, and I'm not technical, but different uh, technology you know, to build it. And at one point we had to redo it all because we were heading in the wrong direction. We weren't going to be able to, uh, you know, scale up and, and, and I, I, I can't get into all the technical difficulties. So it was either difficulties with the design of what the system should do difficulties with what technology we use to make it happen. Uh, even finding good developers so that people write good code for you and, and, And rather than spending a lot of money with a developer who creates bad code, uh, we didn't have the luxury of having a team of developers and a team of quality control people. And, you know, we're not we're not uh, Duolingo or <laughs> any of those people. We're very small. Mm -hmm. uh, How big is the team? 
Well, I would think now there's 12 people. 12 people. Yeah. So that includes development people. And it's, it's, we have, let's say, five people in the office in Vancouver. And that includes customer relations. It includes, so in Vancouver, one developer, one uh, sort of uh, design guy, and two call it customer relations slash PR slash communications. Okay. And, and, and Mark. And then we have uh, two people in Ukraine. We have a, uh, vir two virtual assistants in Serbia. We have another, I think, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think we have another IT person in, uh, in Bolivia of all places. We have one person doing our mobile app in Korea and another person in Portugal. And I may have missed out one or two. Uh, another person in Romania who's helping us on PR. And uh, Mark, I see him there. Uh, I mean, everybody now is working remotely, right? With the coronavirus. But he's been doing this for a while. So he's up on, he's got the screen and there's a guy, you know, in Korea and a guy in Romania and a guy in uh, wherever, you know, and Ukraine and they're all talking and uh, setting goals and, and uh, you know, staying on top of what they're doing. And so, um, yeah, but I think in all there's 12 people. They may not all be full time. I, I, I'm not again. Mark does it. He could tell you exactly. Yeah. How do you decide which which feature that you want to add and which features not? Well, I mean, I think it's a bit of a group decision, but ultimately the uh, the responsibility is with my son Mark. Yeah. And he uh, has the advantage that unlike me, he's very practical. Yeah. So he has no hesitation uh, to say no. Yeah. We're not going to have a feature. That's difficult <laughs> as a language enthusiast, I can imagine. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, he's, he's very good at keeping up with what's going on. He listens to different podcasts. You know, you've got to stay with what's happening uh, in terms of design, in terms of uh, new technology, uh, in terms of how you work with people uh, remotely, uh, uh, all those things. So he's got to be on top of that so that he makes, ultimately, it's up to him to make the right decision. And as with anyone, not all his decisions will be right. Yeah. Mm. I know that you are a big fan of learning languages through listening and reading. Um, mm -hmm. Listening and reading for most people, I think, I don't think it sounds very sexy. You know, it doesn't sound as sexy as learning a language through singing or, uh, I right. don't know, playing video games. How do you, like, package that in a way and... and, and make it sexy, make it popular. I guess can imagine that that's a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's an issue. Uh, one of the difficulties we have is that we have to explain to people why this way of learning works. So if you're selling someone, a, I don't know, a espresso coffee machine, the guy knows what espresso coffee is. He knows what he wants, he or she you're just telling them ours is better and cheaper uh, or better and worth the money or whatever. Uh, for us, it's a, it, it is an obstacle having to convince people that actually what you want to do is that the brain will learn the language with enough exposure. And until the brain has had enough exposure, um, grammatical explanations are not going to do much. Um, traditional, you know, even listening to a story and then being asked a bunch of comprehension questions is actually a waste of time. Uh, if you only understand half the story, that's still good. The fact that you didn't understand half of it doesn't matter. Once you're bored with the story, go to, go on to another story 
Uh, you're not responsible to the teacher for what you understood or didn't understand. So people are programmed either by what they learned at school or by this idea that if they listen to pop music, they're going to get enough exposure. It's exposure, but probably for many purposes, it's not enough because the, you know, the dialogue, the song is the vocabulary used is somewhat limited. So it should be part of your learning content songs. Uh, and you want to make whatever you're using to learn from as enjoyable as possible. Uh, but it can't be just songs. And I mean, people do read. So read something that's of interest to you. And the thing with listening is that, yeah, you're not, if you're listening to music, you're enjoying the music. If you're listening to the language, I mean, what we try to persuade people is, and of course, persuade, we shouldn't have to persuade. Once you're persuading, you're already behind the eight ball. But uh, that in an initial period where the language is very new to you, you have a higher tolerance for essentially not so tremendously interesting content. Because you're discovering a new language, uh, the language is noise, and within a month, it's meaning to some extent. And you're able to say something. So that's very exciting, and you have a sense of... Uh, achievement it's someone referred to it as the honeymoon period with the language and then you discover that from there to fluency is a long long road and that's the sort of discouraging period you know i've been at this language for like a year and i still can't do whatever yeah so there you know we say yes but again with link you can bring stuff in from netflix you can bring stuff in from youtube you can find a book of interest or a book that you're familiar with uh, again, familiarity is very important. If you are familiar with the subject, you're more likely to understand it. So it, it's a bit of a, I don't think it's that hard to sell. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I think the biggest obstacles is people are used to a certain way of learning from school and, or they think they can talk the way they can talk their way to flu. I want to talk. And we have to say, well, you won't understand what the person is saying. You will talk about a very limited range of things. And so therefore you won't really be growing your familiarity with the language. Do some of that as part of your, you know, everyone should design a range of activities that suits their interests and speaking even at an early stage can be part of that if you're so inclined, but you still have to invest in getting the language in you. So that's kind of the spiel that we have. We persuade some people, we don't persuade other people. So yeah, I mean, there, it's a huge market. And there's different kinds of learners. I think we all learn the same way, but there's different tastes out there. Yeah. And so we're not going to appeal to everyone. Yeah. Are there like other platforms out, out there that work more or less the same way? I mean, I, of course, we all know Duolingo, the Rosetta Stones, the Babel, but it's not entirely the same idea because with Link, it's really about reading and listening, you know, selecting, creating the links, as you guys call it. Are there more systems out there that, that use similar learning approaches? Uh, I think there are, uh, you know, there's nothing there that uh, we've necessarily invented. Although I must say that the original inspiration was that I had books at home in German or Spanish and I would read them and I would always underline the words that I didn't know. Yeah, we're going back 30, 40 years, right? And then I'd look up the words, close the dictionary and I'd forgotten what it was that I'd, I'd looked up. And so I'd read that same book again, that same chapter, and I'd come across the same underlined word, and I didn't know what it meant, even though the fact that it had been underlined, and I maybe even made a list of these words, and I didn't know what they meant. And so 
we develop link. It's for people who do like to read. And so this way you are, you can be assured of actually accumulating new vocabulary. The other thing about link is the, so, but, but essentially there's looking up words in a dictionary or even using online dictionaries or even saving the words that you've looked up. None of this was invented by link. So it's more a matter of, you know, we're hoping that it's a platform that's convenient, pleasant. And so it's, you know, every lesson you have, you can, uh, it's now in a playlist. So if I go for a run, I just turn on whatever it might be. If I have a course in, a course might be a series of these, you know, dialogues in Iranian or in Korean or whatever. I just turn on, you know, course audio and I go running for 30, 40 minutes and I'm listening to all this stuff. It's so easy to do. So, so the, the whole trick with link is to make these activities easy and pleasant. And, and there again, make it pleasant means make the interface pleasant. And we occasionally get criticisms of our interface. And we, so we've been constantly trying to improve it. We're right now in the process of improving it further. Uh, make it easier for people to access Netflix. Make it easier for people to download the dialogue, the subtitles in a text format that they can use to learn from. Uh, so that they don't have to go and find and, and uh, you know, some of the books are uh, protected and you can't. In other words, simplify the whole process. Uh, but, but bearing in mind that not everyone likes to read. So, yeah, that would, to that extent, uh, I think we are oriented more towards people who are prepared to both listen and read. Mm -hmm. How have you guys managed to grow Link to what it is now? Um, and how important is the role of your YouTube channel? YouTube channel is big. YouTube channel is very big. It has the advantage that <laughs> you've seen my, I don't know if you've seen any of my YouTube videos, but anybody who, who regularly watches me brainwash them on my YouTube channel understands the basic learning principles behind Link. So anyone who finds Link and understands this approach to learning is far more likely to convert to, to becoming a member. Uh, so random ads on Facebook to somebody, a very low rate of conversion because they come to link and they don't know what they've come to. You know, where's, where's lesson one? Well, there is no lesson one really. So, so uh, the YouTube channel is big, the blog, uh, organic search is big, recommendations are big. Uh, we're experimenting with different forms of advertising on social media, again, I'm not close to it. Mark does it. We measure the results uh, where we don't get a payback. We don't continue. Uh, it's, it's constantly, uh, you know, hit and miss. Uh, one little thing, for example, I went to Japan. I had an interview with a guy called Rupa Sensei and uh, for his channel. And uh, he asked me to say something in whatever, 15, 16 languages. I think so I've seen I did, a video, yeah. I, I did that. That video has the last time I looked some while ago had over a million views. <laughs> it's the biggest it, it put Rupa says you changed my life by doing that video. <laughs> he also helped us. We got so many more subscriptions in Japan, particularly because he's in Japan out of that. So that was a good one. Mm -hmm. Now, those are few and far between. But every so often you hit for whatever reason, somebody 
you know, spreads it. And I, I wouldn't say, I don't know if a million is going viral, but it's not bad by my standards. Mm-hmm. Let's say I don't have a million views for most of my videos, to say the least. <laughs> so uh, where you have something like that, and I've had videos that are very successful. I have videos that certainly have many hundreds of thousands of views and they're con- they continue to attract people. So that that is definitely a big part of our of our, of our promotion activity. Yeah. You have about 200,000 subscribers there. Yeah. How do you manage to grow such a big channel? I know you have been on YouTube for I don't know, maybe 12 years or something, maybe even longer right. than that. Uh, has it been consistency or like are you using any s- specific strategies or is it, is it no. just a matter of if- if I Showing knew it. I was growing, I would do more of whatever <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, yeah, it just it just grows. I mean, obviously, whenever you have a successful video, let's say the typical video is going to have three, four, five thousand views within a few days, and it'll eventually grow to ten or fifteen thousand views. But where you have videos that have several hundred thousand views, there's a chance that those people will subscribe. I'm not very good at, at, at you know, every every so often I get told by Mark or our other guys, you you have to ask people to subscribe to your channel. And I do it for a while and then I forget. So I'm not that good at doing that. You know, there are the those YouTubers who will religiously ask you to, to subscribe and give them a like and stuff. I, I find that a little bit cheesy, but uh, I don't mind doing it if that's what it takes. I mean, we have to be realistic. My YouTube channel is there. Not because I want to, I like doing it and I believe in the message and, and I, I believe in this way of learning. And I think the way people are traditionally taught is very counterproductive, but I do it because we want to promote traffic to link. I mean, so yeah, that's why I do it. So, uh, and, and it is, it is, it is an effective tool. Uh, I do mention link quite a bit and sometimes I get criticism. Oh, you're always promoting link and why don't you just, <laughs> you know, why isn't link? Why is it link free? Yeah, but like we got 12 employees, okay? And so if you're prepared to come and work free, if you have some skills and you want to work free at link, you're welcome to come and work for free. Meantime, most people with skills actually like to get paid. Yeah. So, you know. How much How much does it cost, link? How much is the uh, subscription? It's, uh, now I want to be careful because again, I get out of date pretty quickly. I think we're like 13 US a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you commit to a six month or a one year program, it, it averages down to about 10. Yeah. I don't know where the euro is vis-a-vis the U S dollar these days, but it's in that range. Mm. And, um, and that gives you access to 35 languages. Yeah. So in order to make a platform like that profitable, you need thousands and thousands and thousands of, of members, right? Because I mean, how much is it, how much does it cost to develop an app? How much can you do with a hundred thousand euros or dollars? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I can tell you, however little you think, I see these people, well, nothing special. We can do that. Okay, go and do it. Uh, No guarantee that you'll get it right the first time. No guarantee that there won't be bugs. And there's always new stuff. The the browsers change. You got to keep changing your software to suit the new conditions on the browsers. you know, the whole mobile thing has come along and really helped us because a lot of people, um, you know, they like to use a mobile app. And so we've had to develop that. That costs you money. Now, on the other hand, Apple takes 30%. So that's not very nice. They, we, we promote it. They don't promote it. 
People don't find us in the app store. People go there from my YouTube videos and yet they're taking 30%. Mm. So that's not very nice. <laughs> I sound like Trump now. That's not very <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, so, but this is the reality, right? We couldn't do it without them. So I mean, you have to constantly be adjusting to new reality, but it's a major investment. I mean, we have, we must have between the, uh, design and our developers we got five full-time people six six actually so and you have to do that because you have to keep improving changing it's not you know people aren't getting it uh, certain features aren't working certain things are glitchy uh, whatever you constantly have to be improving and it's a major major investment and we sometimes we used to think well once we get this done then we won't need so much we won't need to spend so much money on development not true you spend all, we spend almost all our money in development. There's always something that has to be fixed or improved or changed. Mm. So, if you had to restart all over again, what would you do differently building Link? Um, I don't think we could have. I mean, if I had the design that we have now, and then I decided to, you know, develop that. You know, uh, yeah, maybe I would do that, but that's not realistic because 10, 15 years ago, they didn't have the mobile. Uh, the browsers were different. Everything was slower. Uh, what we have now has gradually adapted to changing circumstances. And the idea that you're not going to make mistakes in development, that you're not going to end up with problems, and uh, it's not realistic. You're going to. You're going to. Uh, I, I, what I am glad is that we went at it slowly. We didn't go out and raise money and uh, hire a bunch of programmers and, and do this because then we would and then buy a bunch of ads and we would have basically sunk the ship. So crawling along in my dark tunnel <laughs> is the only way we've been able to stay with it and gradually grow. How long was the dark tunnel? Like are we talking about five years or even more than that? more and how did you manage to to keep going to not give up have there been moments where you thought by yourself you know what okay. let, let's quit the point this is this the point is i was in the position that i could essentially finance it through my lumber business if this was a standalone business it would be long gone and it's just i say i want to do this thing <laughs> I want to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that simple. I want to do it. And uh, the same with Mark. We want to do this thing. And and people used to ask us, you know, geez, you know, we're, we really enjoy Link. And are you going to stay with it? Yes, we're staying with it. Even in the darkest days, there was never, and there were many dark days. I mean, go to bed at night and think, what am I doing? And, uh, but there was never ever any thought that we would give it up it's just you're gonna do it we're doing it so when was like when was like the moment you realized this is actually happening or were there any like special particular things or actions that you took which make everything work all of a sudden or not really was it really a matter of just gradually improvement uh you know i'm trying to remember there's so many little things you know, even in terms of where we price it, how much, like, 
you know, people say, oh, you got to give people free, three months free, or you got to give people, well, we talk about, you know, creating links, like saving words and phrases. We used to have 300. We weren't doing very well. We brought it down to 100. We did better. In other words, you get less free time. Then we said, no, we're going to take it down to 20. Well, of course, great hue and cry. That's ridiculous. People won't have a chance to really flavor, you know, take, you know, realize how good it is, how powerful and blah, blah, blah. No, the, the, the more we force people to commit when they're hot, mm-hmm. when they discovered it, mm-hmm. the better we do. And then, of course, we keep their email and we keep bombarding them with promotional stuff. And a lot of people will come back later on. But so, and this is all trial and error. I, I think it was just a gradual, gradual cumulative process mm-hmm. of making the app better, making it faster, better design, uh, different approaches to pricing, different approaches to uh, promotion. No one thing. It's just, but what, what is true uh, is that it was kind of, it went along at a very, very slow level. And once it started picking up, then it, it continued to pick up. And then at a certain point, we reached, you know, the light of day. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so you're doing this together with Mark, your son. How mm-hmm. is it to, to work together with your son? You have to trust, uh, well, any co-worker, anybody you're working with, you have to work, you have to trust them. He runs it. So... Even if he weren't my son, you have to let him run it. But that's even more so the case if it's your son. Like if I disagree (laughs) with something he wants to do, he wins. There is no way that I would say, no, you're wrong, I'm right. Mm. And fortunately, most of the time he's right and I'm wrong. Mm. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) So no, it's great, it's great. But you have to, you can't, you have to let the person do it. And particularly if it's your son. Mm. What is the future of Link? Like, are there any other features that you want to implement that you can share here on the podcast, or what's your like your long-term vision for for Link? I think uh, you know there's a lot of detail. The things that we're working on right now, we have a new lesson page which I'm in now as a beta on my on the app, and it's just it's it's a simplified look. It's cleaner. It's it's faster. It's more pleasant, and I just love being in it. Uh, so that's one thing, uh, the, you know, in our sentence view where you can go through text in sentence view, we're going to make it easier to have that sort of the audio timestamp so that you can actually follow the audio, the natural audio match to the sentence view, which is pretty important because if the text is difficult, it's nice to see, to hear the audio that relates to that specific sentence. Um, I can't remember all the stuff that Mark has, uh, I can't remember, but a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, making the the sort of library easier to browse, so you can find things um, easier. Have it look a bit more like you know. I mentioned Netflix. Have it have it in fact look more like Netflix when you're searching for content of interest. Uh, easier to search for things. Uh, but he had some other quite exciting ideas on on the lesson page. I can't remember what they are now. I try not to bug him as to when it's going to be available because, mm-hmm. again, it's not a good idea, you know, because mm-hmm. sure. it was supposed to be ready in February. And when is it going to be ready? It'll be ready. <laughs> get out of that. So I get out of the way. But so the, the general gist of it is to make it um, more pleasant, more intuitive, simplified without losing, you know, 
the effect mm-hmm. and uh, easier to connect to all the sort of exciting content that's on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, we have developed our little mini stories, which I think is a great way to get you started. Mm-hmm. I've used it now for Greek, for Arabic, for Persian, for Turkish, and you go through them and that's sort of, that's in the honeymoon period, it ramps you up to a level where you can now go at stuff that's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, ge- genuinely, you know, compelling content. Um, yeah, it's just a range of, of those kinds of things, little details. I, again, I, I didn't come prepared to tell you the list of things you're doing, but it's quite a large, it's quite a large overhaul in terms of design and features, which the goal is to make it more pleasant for people so that they want to be there. Yeah. Do you think it would have been possible to make Link a success without your YouTube channel? Uh, I think, you know, I think that is, I mean, I don't have the numbers here, but there is a, a certain amount of organic search yeah. that happens, references, people telling their friends. But our biggest referrer is my YouTube channel. Hmm. And the second one is my blog. Yeah. So the if that's of advice to your entrepreneurs, the content mm-hmm. that you create yourself mm-hmm. has is certainly a much better return on investment. Like my time is free, okay, so it's a good return on investment. <laughs> but um, than say money spent on uh, Google ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we, you know, some of our listeners they might be interested in building. Well, software or an app or something else. What would you, what would your, what would your advice? Well, I think that the market for language learning is humongous, and the challenge is to get to make people aware of what you have. Yeah. Uh, assuming you build a good mousetrap. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you don't build a good mousetrap. Forget it. Okay. But assuming that these, your listeners are people who've got some really good ideas, um, then the market is huge. There's room for everybody because the bulk of language learning takes place in schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think schools are relatively inefficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to go there. Uh, You sit in the classroom with 10 people, five people, 20 people, other, you know, learners who don't speak so well, uh, teacher is trying to I- impose, you know, today we will study the subjunctive. Yeah, maybe, but maybe I would eventually get used to the subjunctive anyway, if you didn't try to force me to learn it today, <laughs> you know? So uh, I think the challenge is to basically convert more people and maybe this whole coronavirus thing is going to make people realize that there's a lot that they can do on their own Mm -hmm. and they needn't get on a bus or drive in their car to go to a classroom uh, in order to learn languages and that even if they do go to a class that it's the level of their motivation that's going to determine their success Mm So given that, then, you know, whether you go to a classroom, whether you learn on your own, maybe of secondary importance, Mm -hmm. Uh, how you get yourself motivated is perhaps more important. And so maybe your developer listeners should be looking at things that they can do to create more motivation. I had an interview with a guy called Dominic from Germany, Mm -hmm. and he has a YouTube channel called Get Germanized. Get Germanized. Yeah, I know the channel. Yeah. So he's all about motivating people to learn German. 
that's a bigger deal than any, you know, teaching people, you know, dead MD does or whatever it is. Get people motivated and they'll figure out the dead MD does. Yeah. So I think that's the big challenge is, so to that extent, Duolingo motivates people. At least it's, it's game-like. So people, however much they learn is almost secondary. It gets them into the language. Yeah. And I think, I think that the big thing that the sort of language, lang, what do you call them again? Langpreneurs, yeah. Langpreneurs is to create more attention around the fact that language learning is fun. Language learning is beneficial. Uh, this makes it fun. Uh, here's all the ways you can learn on your own. Uh, you know, and, and you don't have to go to a classroom. It's not to take away from a classroom. You, all of those things still work even if the person is going to a classroom. Mm -hmm. But unless you can stimulate and motivate people, then uh, it's, it's, it's a long road for most people. How many people do you know who have taken Spanish class at the local library for eight years and still can't speak Spanish? I, maybe that's not true in Holland, but I come across those here for sure. Yeah. So what you're basically saying is that it's not like the most difficult part about building a successful app is not building it or coming with a good idea. It's creating the attention and connecting yeah, to an both. audience, motivating them. Both. I mean, we spend most of our money on development. Hmm. So it is. And now maybe other people are better than we are, but it's expensive. It's expensive. Now, it depends on how much of it you want to chew off. So we did quite a lot, like, and we spent money, for example, building a platform that, in fact, we're not as good as italki, because italki has so much critical mass, so many tutors, that on our site, yeah, people use our tutors, but they're more likely to go to italki, because if they go there, they can find someone, convenient time, right now, who will teach them their language at a price point that they like. So we sh maybe you should never have touched that. Hmm. Maybe we should have focused on our input-based learning. Yeah. So you've got to figure out your niche, hmm. develop the best possible mousetrap for that niche, and then you have to put more effort into promoting it. But the promotion can be a lot of money. And, and so we found that we could just bleed money in promotion. Mm -hmm. So we have the advantage, as I say, of my blog and my YouTube channel. But the money we've spent on ads with YouTube and Elsewhere, Instagram and stuff has not been worth the money. We measure the, you know, the benefits and yeah. it's not worth it. Yeah. So, so you've got to have a sort of a content marketing strategy mm. uh, that, you know, and, and, uh, and then get, get, bite off whatever you want to bite off and then uh, and make sure it's good. Yeah. But, and that won't be cheap. And mm. that won't be cheap. Yeah, I guess like these companies like Babel and, I don't know, there's other guys that have like huge budgets for advertising. If, you know, sometimes when I see how their systems work, it's just easier to convince people that it works. I mean, they gamify everything. So the people, they get like a demo, they play around with it. It feels good, you know, with all these dopamines buttons, as they call it. And then maybe people are more likely, you know, they see it works. Oh, now I'm going to learn the names of all the animals and now all the colors. And, you know, it, fe it feels better. Whereas what you what link is actually, you know, something that language learners need because you eventually, if you want to become good in a language, you need to, you know, get lots of input. But it might be harder to sell. So maybe for your users or your ideal customer, maybe these are the people that come in through your YouTube channel. Do you, do you think that? that makes sense or? yeah you know sense? and the other thing too is i'm doing it because i want to do it i'm doing it because i think it's right that's how we learn so i'm not going to have silly bells and whistles 
uh, yeah, I shouldn't say silly bells and whistles, but <laughs> like, here's what we want to do. Here's what I think works. I know, like I rely a lot on my own experience. If you try to teach me the colors or articles of clothing or the names of all the different relatives, I can't remember that. It, you, you can't. That's not how we learn. Uh, we learn uh, green grass. If we see green grass a few times, eventually green sinks in. But if we hear green, red, blue, yellow, purple, not a chance you're going to remember that. So to teach those things in ways that are fundamentally not effective is not something we're going to do. But, but to the extent that we can gamify certain things, uh, one of the things that Duolingo does that I think is quite good is where you get a sentence with the words scrambled and then you have to reassemble the sentence. That's good. That's a fun and it's a form of exposure. And I think those are kinds of things that we will eventually introduce in our vocabulary learning. So where there are forms of gamification that are also useful, uh, we're not against that. But uh, I mean, yeah, I think some of the other, you know, like pictures, like, uh, you know, uh, Rosetta Stone, like can only take you so far. And you don't necessarily need to know the name for lion and apple and, and those things up front. Yeah. Uh, again, with with at length, like I, I personally believe the most important thing to learn at first is the most frequent verbs. Mm -hmm. Go, come, get, need, hope, all those. And so our mini stories are just full of the most frequent verbs. And if I listen to each story and there's so much repetition in each story and I listen to them 30 or 40 times, not all at once, mind you, like story one, two, three, four, five, mm -hmm. back to one. Those high frequency verbs are going to start accumulating in my brain that is more effective than seeing pictures of giraffe snake dog and yeah. all that stuff but it's more it's more impressive oh look at me i remember the name of dog okay you got the name of dog yeah. mm -hmm. if, if i don't know the name for dog in persian it won't matter for six months mm -hmm. yeah steve you are well you just said 74 uh, for how long are you going to continue doing this? <laughs> I mean, creating multiple YouTube videos every week, you, you, you just keep going. Um, yeah. How do you do that? Where does the energy come from? And uh, when when are you going to rest? And, uh, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's not the only thing I do in life, you know. Um, I like to be physically active. I like to learn my languages. And three, four times a week, I do either a video or I write a blog post and uh, it's fun. It's fun. And my wife, uh, she likes, to, she gets on YouTube to learn piano or golf or uh, cooking. And she downloaded some designs for homemade masks for coronavirus. So that when we do go back to Vancouver, if we have to fly, I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to drive or fly, we'll be hunkered down there with her homemade masks and And we just stay, stay constructive, stay active. Why would I stop? Stop and yeah, do no what? Idea. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the question. Yeah, stop and do what? Yeah, yeah. No need to stop. Mm. Any final tips or advice or anything else that you want to share with our audience? Uh, you know, when you say longpreneur, I think it's, it's, it's going to balloon. Uh, it's going to balloon partly because what we're seeing now, and I think there will be long-term impacts of this, you know, remote learning, remote work and so forth. It's going to change how our societies work. There's going to be less flying around the world, but it, I think people will still want to be connected. So uh, an online language tutor is a longpreneur. You don't have to start, you don't have to create an app. 
people who are hanging out their shingle saying, I will teach French Dutch. There's people learning Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Not the Whatever. most popular language, but yeah, definitely. No but, but, uh, no, but you understand what I mean? So that's growing. I see people, you know, Lindsay and others who are offering advice, Kirsten, to people who are online tutors. So there's going to be online tutors, people helping online tutors. Then there's going to be, you know, different applications that help learners or tutors. So I think that whole area is going to grow. And I mean, the size of the international language learning market is humongous, humongous. And that's overwhelmingly bodies in a classroom. So if even a portion of that moves to more remote, then the opportunities are, are huge. Yeah. Great. Steve, thank yeah. you very much for sharing that. If people want to learn okay. more about you and about Link, where can they go? Well, obviously, they can go to Link, for starters, lingq.com. They can go to my YouTube channel, which is Lingo Steve. And my blog is, I think, the linguist.blog. Uh, I should send you that. I should know. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. The linguist.blog.com. Yeah, no worries. I will add the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, and, and we're having, yeah. We, it's fun. The whole thing about it is fun. I think when we get together at polyglot gatherings or elsewhere, I would say too that that listeners who are not longpreneurs but who are interested in language should also uh, consider going to the various polyglot get-togethers. It's an exciting world. Mm -hmm. We're at the very beginning, and uh, you know, I, I, and and it's something that's very beneficial to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a good place to meet all the like-minded people or the people who like languages some of them also into languepreneurship we actually met i'm not sure if you remember we shot a video together in um it wasn't bratislava polyglot gathering in bratislava it was bratislava and then there is the polyglot conference which takes place in um well last year fukuoka right you were there i was there yeah this year is going to be in mexico right we have a langfest inshallah as they say inshallah we hope, we hope. yeah <laughs> yeah well, cool. Steve, thank you very much for uh, okay. your time. And um, okay. yeah, we're going to watch your videos on YouTube. We're going to check out Link. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Good luck to you. Bye. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.